You're listening to Culture and Christianity, a podcast of In-Town Community Church. You will find in the description for this episode links to handouts and resources that are mentioned during this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome. Thanks for being here this week. Uh, We're closing up our four-week series called... Christian nationalism, what your pastor wants you to know. And uh, if you're here this morning, a quick look around the room. And, and I'm not your pastor. You're visiting in town. You're a newcomer. Welcome. Thanks for being with us. Um, and uh, so for you, the, the title of the series will be a little bit longer, Christian nationalism. If you were a member of in town and I were your pastor, this is what I would want you to know. Um, so, uh, there are handouts on the table by the door back there. I think there are some spares from last week if you missed and would like one of those. Uh, there are also uh, fresh ones for this week, and all of these are available online as well if you prefer digital copies of things. Um, let me uh, pray and, and ask God to, to give us wisdom. Lord, your servant, uh, your half-brother, James, was a leader in the church, and, and he wrote in Scripture that every good gift comes from our Heavenly Father. And um, wisdom is a good gift from the Father. Wisdom is not just knowing things. Wisdom is skill to live truth that we know. So we pray today that you would help us to know truth and then give us the skill to live it uh, in loving ways. We pray these things uh, as, as blessings that would come to us through Jesus, not because we deserve them, um, but because he is good. And we pray in his name. Amen. Okay, so uh, if, if you have a handout, a couple of uh, just reminders. So there's a, a brief definition of Christian nationalism at the top. Um, Christian nationalism tends to identify a nation or a subgroup within that nation so closely with God and His purposes and what it means to be His people that, that the nation becomes primary. Um, and, and it can ask a kind of loyalty that should properly belong to God alone. Uh, begins to be asked and expected by the nation. And uh, there's a tendency, therefore, to, to eliminate or, or diminish uh, competing visions for the nation. Um, sort of in, in the name of God and His truth. Um, so that's a brief description of Christian nationalism. Three goals that we've had in our time together. Um, one is, is to experience gospel peace. The kind of peace that would come from knowing Jesus. That means um, uh, we, we can wade into awkward conversations uh, with peace. We, uh, we're okay if our, if our nation rises or falls because it isn't 
the beginning and end of our existence and identity and our world doesn't fall apart if someone disagrees with us about our vision for the nation. Um, gospel peace, uh, gospel wisdom, trying to, trying to develop discernment, understanding of what's happening in our culture uh, and uh, learning to build gospel bridges. So I want us to begin this morning with uh, some, some of that gospel wisdom by listening, I'm going I'm to hit pause for a moment, listening to a, uh, this is a man named uh, Justin Gibney. He's an attorney here in the Atlanta area. And uh, he is um, a leader in, in the, the space of trying to get followers of Jesus to think carefully about politics. Um, and you'll hear him talk in, in this little video clip about one of the ways that he is concerned that some followers of Jesus aren't careful in the way they think and talk about politics. And so you can guess from the uh, questions on your handout what he might be about to say to us. So I'm going to have you break up into little groups. You don't have to move your chairs if, if you don't want, but just find two or three people to talk through these couple of questions with. Um, He's going to talk about a kind of hypersensitivity. He's going to use a really vivid metaphor for it. Uh, anyway, I won't. No spoilers here. So just, have you experienced the kind of hypersensitivity that he's going to mention? Um, and he's going to talk about a, a tendency he sees in our culture to, to have an almost religious adherence to uh, political position or political party. Have you, have you observed that? Just a few minutes to listen. It'll take us about a minute and a half to listen to what he has to say, and then we'll take a few minutes to talk among ourselves, find two or three other people, and, uh, and talk about those questions, and then we'll boil out some takeaways together. So here we go. Uh, Justin Gibney, and we're going to... Um, Hear what he has to say. The theology stopped and the ideology, the political ideology started. Uh, people were really conflating and intertwining those two to where I don't think a lot of people know where, where, where to separate the two. Uh, and so that's something that we've been really serious about. I mean, you can, you can tell because if you say something about someone's favorite uh, political uh, elected official or their favorite or their party, it's like you said something about their mother, right? I mean, it's really, they really feel offended. And what it does is it shows us where our identity is, that we've allowed our identity to be tied too closely to our political affiliation. Um, we always tell, you know, the end campaign always tells Christians that someone should be able to critique or even insult your party and you not feel like it's an insult to you. If someone can't make that critique, even a harsh one of your party without you feeling like you've personally been attacked, then there's a problem there. Because there's not a proper separation. So you, you heard him mention the, the hypersensitivity right there. So it's like, like you critique my mother, right? Um, and, uh, and then this sense of um, if you insult my party, you've insulted me. Because party and I get so closely aligned. So, all right, maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've been hearing that. Maybe you've been doing it. Um, have fun talking 
about these two questions for a few minutes. Uh, I'll, I'll give you five, six, seven minutes, and then we'll come back together and uh, see what we're going to do with it. Okay. Let me do uh, <clears throat> one of my least favorite parts of being a pastor is that you have to do a lot of this, which is stopping good conversation. Uh, so oftentimes in ministry, this, this just goes with the territory, right? People are having a great time and you have to tell them to hit the pause button. Um, so um, Justin's not talking about something imaginary, is he? When he talks about this sort of Hypersensitive. You've you've offended me and my mother and my religion all at once by saying the wrong thing about politics. Um, I'm, I'm sure I, I would be surprised if someone in the room says, "What are you talking about? I've I've never experienced that. I've never heard of that. Never seen it." Um, okay, so if we experience that, what do we do with it? <laughs> if, if that's a re- reality in our culture. Um, what do we do with that? We'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. In terms of gospel wisdom, sort of understanding, one of the turns that's happening in our culture more broadly, and you're going to hear about this more today, you're going to hear about it more in the coming years, we're, we're shifting toward becoming a post-Christian culture. Um, one of the implications of that is that fewer and fewer people have a significant religious commitment. Human beings have to worship something. It's, it's the way we were designed. And, and you don't have to be religious to agree with that statement. Every human being thinks something is the most important thing. Right? You, you, you could be the most atheist of atheists and think there is nothing supernatural, you still think something is most important. And we have to have a place to put that. And one of the tendencies we're seeing is that as fewer and fewer people put the most important thing about me egg in the basket of faith or spirituality or religion or... Well, where are they going to put that egg? (laughs) And, and one, one of the places that we tend to put that is, is in the political basket. I don't have another basket to put that most important thing about me egg. I'm going to put it in this one. And so sometimes we're experiencing that as uh, religious traditions, commitments uh, have take up less of our heart space. That heart space is going to be filled with something else. And uh, so it, it, it isn't shocking to see this kind of... Um, religious adherence to political positions. Now, as believers in Jesus, we, we want to work in the opposite direction, right? That, that the most important thing about a follower of Jesus is Jesus. And um, that doesn't mean we ignore politics, but, but our world doesn't get as rattled if the political basket gets shaken. Um, because the who I am egg is not in that basket. Uh, so, uh, th- one of the things we can do is to just to keep praying. Keep praying for 
opportunities to have conversations with hypersensitive people who have an almost religious uh, attachment to their politics. Pray for opportunities to talk to people. Because <laughs> those people are, 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 deep down, they're worried about real things and right things. It, it, it is good to be worried about the direction of our society. It's good to want our nation to be headed in a better direction. It is good to want prosperity. It is good to want peace. We may not all agree on what definition of prosperity and peace is, but it's good to want those things. Um, and it's, it's better to have the identity egg in a basket that can't be turned upside down as often as politics is. It's good for us to be able to help people see there's a, another way to want peace and prosperity and human flourishing uh, without having to put the, the identity egg in the politics basket. So let's keep praying for those opportunities. Um, also, this is a reminder of why we need some kind of peace that roots us more deeply than politics can. And so your pastor wants you to know that when you talk about the peace that comes from knowing the good news about Jesus, who he is and what he does, all of that's kind of captured in that word gospel, good news. Gospel peace means that our identity is not threatened when our views of politics are critiqued. Right? That's one of, the, one of the implications of having this peace that comes from knowing Jesus is you can insult my politics without destroying my world because politics are not my world. I may care deeply about it. I hope I think carefully about it, but You're not shattering my sense of where the universe is headed if you disagree with me, if you critique. You're not shattering my sense of who I am as a person if you tell me that I voted the wrong way in the last election or that I'm thinking the wrong way about this policy or that practice or that party. Um, And so we want to have this sense of peace that says my identity isn't going to be shattered if I'm talking to someone who who identifies themselves as a Christian nationalist. I'm going to disagree with that person on a lot of things. But they're telling me that they're a Christian nationalist is not going to somehow shatter my whole world. Or they're telling me that they think that because I'm a Christian, I must be a Christian nationalist. I can handle that. It's okay to know that that they may understand these things differently than I am because there's a deeper sense of peace. Let's explore a little bit about what that means for us in terms of putting that in practice. Gospel peace. Let's put this gospel peace in practice. Let's live like being in Christ is more important to us than being right. Here's why that's so important. If my peace depends on being right, then my peace is shaken every time someone says I'm wrong. If my peace comes from being right, and my peace comes from you knowing that I am right, then every time I'm in a room where somebody might think I'm wrong, my peace is shaky. My I, I, I'm anxious. Or, or 
Or I'm in a room with people and I don't know. Do you think I'm right? I don't know. Well, there's that anxiety. Like the, the peace starts to shake and tremble and it gets fragile. But if my peace comes from something besides I'm right and I know it, I'm right and you know it, I'm right and everybody knows it, well, now I, I don't get so shattered sometime, anytime someone says I'm wrong. There are two things to do to make that shaking go away. That sense of my peace comes from being right. This person says I'm wrong. I got two options now. I can run away and be in a place where everybody thinks I'm right. How easy is it to find that place these days? Pretty easy online, right? You, you can, your, your search engine learns real fast how to tell you what you want to hear. If you want a bubble where you only have to read, see, and hear things that tell you you're right, that's really easy to find as long as you don't interact with real life human beings. If you got a roommate, you know somebody who thinks you're not right about stuff. <laughs> if you've got a spouse, you know somebody who knows you're not right about stuff, right? But if you just interact with non-people, you can kind of put yourself in that bubble. So that's one option is I just run away. I just withdraw. I retreat into a little bubble where everybody thinks the same as me. The other is... My interaction with you is now not about getting to know you at all. It's about making sure I get through the points of my argument that will convince you that I am right. And, and that's just, that's not a good way to build loving relationships with people, right? You, you don't feel loved when the person sitting across the table from you was just waiting for their turn to talk. They couldn't hear what you were saying. They were just waiting to get through their points to prove that they are right. And so uh, those kind of withdraw and dominate options aren't, aren't good for real love. And so part of what we're called to as believers in Jesus in a culture where um, politics is worshipped as a god, where m- many, uh, many times Christianity and, and a nationalistic understanding of of political and, and national allegiance, it, just, the assumption is they go hand in hand. If you're a Christian, you must be a Christian nationalist. We just got to learn to live like people who are at peace. Like you, don't, you can think I'm wrong and it's okay with me because being in Christ is more important than being right. Our world needs to see more people who can handle disagreement without being shattered. Our world needs to see more people like you and me who can come under attack without coming undone. Um, And the only way that happens is if our hope and our peace are rooted in something much more solid than our sense of of always being right. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. We're listening to... um, the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us in the scriptures, 1 Peter chapter 3. We've looked at this text before, just coming back to it once more to see that the P 
pieces I've highlighted in white here are those, those deep roots of peace that can't be shaken. Right? We live in a world where many people are going to ask us to give a reason for the hope that we have. We're going to have to give an answer. We've said before that that word answer could also be translated defense. It implies someone is criticizing you. They, they are attacking you. They are misunderstanding, misrepresenting. They are telling you, I don't think there's any good reason for this so-called hope you have. How could you be so naive and foolish as to believe this? This is not a curious question. Tell me more about your faith. This is an attack mode question. And it's in that context that we get to step back and say, you know what? Christ is the Lord. He's not under attack. He can't be shaken. I don't have to respond to this attack by coming unglued. (laughs) These criticisms, these, these questions that are assuming my faith is... Doesn't make much sense. Well, it's grounded in a hope. Remember that word in the New Testament always points to the resurrection of Jesus as proof that one day he will return and and his people will experience resurrection life and joy forever. That can't be shaken. That's not under attack. Nothing can stop that from happening. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Nothing can stop that permanent glory from coming one day. You can't, you can't put him back in the tomb. You can't retell the story in a way that death wins this time. And those are the roots of our peace. Right? Everything can be shattered around us. Nothing can shatter that. Um... And then we get this reminder down here in verse 18. Hey, you might have to suffer for doing good in this world. That's better than suffering for doing evil. Right? You belong to Jesus. He suffered for doing good. You may have to do the same thing. This deep kind of rootedness in something that can't be shaken. Um, And my sense is that... um, as there's increasing anxiety and isolation in our culture, there's more and more people need to know people whose worlds don't come undone every time someone disagrees with us. Now, it doesn't mean we aren't real people who, you know, have a hard time uh, with, with life. Let me point out one thing I've enjoyed about this book. It's called How to Be a Patriotic Christian by Richard Mao. Um, love of country as love of neighbor. It's, uh, it's, it's a thoughtful reflection on healthy ways uh, to engage in politics as a believer in Jesus and healthy ways to uh, love one's country. Um, and, and he says early on that he it chose the title very intentionally. What's the noun and what's the adjective? Well, the noun is Christian, right? That, that's the solid core, and, and the patriotic is, is an aspect of being Christian. But, but what comes first in his book is be Christian. Uh, one of the things that he points out in that book is how politics is never final. 
the person who won this election could lose the next one. Right? The person who seems to be the hero today could, you know, the scandal comes out tomorrow. And um, the law that just got passed can be overturned. Public support can shift. So there's no sense of finality in the world of politics. And that leads to anxiety. If politics becomes your religion and there's no finality in it, then your religion is one that breeds anxiety. And so um, just, just kind of another reminder to me that our world needs to see us as believers in Jesus at peace because they, we know there's something that is solid and transcendent and final, and it's not going to shift with the next election, and it's not going to shift with public opinion. And, and so, uh, good book. I've been updating our resource list, and so it goes out every week and is getting bigger and longer each time, and this one got put on the list this week. So stay tuned for your uh, newsletter. It comes out on Thursday. It'll have an updated link to the, the, the latest version of, of that resource list with, with books. Uh, like that one. Um, your pastor wants you to know something about building gospel bridges uh, in this uh, sort of moment when, when there's this hypersensitivity and uh, you, you can't talk about politics without insulting someone's mother. Um, it, building gospel bridges means that as, as believers in Jesus, we, we may very well feel attacked. We might be attacked. Notice I'm making a distinction there. Not every time I feel attacked am I actually being attacked. Right? But there may be moments when it feels that way, even if it's not really happening. There may be moments when it's really happening. You feel that way because it, you're actually being attacked. You feel like you're being attacked because you are. Or we might be misunderstood as the attackers. We might be misunderstood as, well, if you're a Christian, then you think that people who don't share your faith shouldn't be citizens of the country at all. No, no, I, I, don't, I don't think that. Those are realities. That we, in other words, we're, we're called to build bridges in relationships with people who don't share our faith. And so it's not going to shock us when we encounter this kind of significant misunderstanding. And... Uh, Peter's preparing us for that in, in his letter, 1 Peter 3, the text we've been looking at. And this is what he says to us, that when we put in practice this, this building of gospel bridges, we will desire to turn conflict in the direction of gentleness and respect. Again, not, not my words, not my wisdom. This is the Spirit speaking to us in Scripture. In your hearts revere Christ as Lord, be prepared on occasion when you feel like it to give an answer. To, no, it's not what it says, right? <laughs> Always be prepared to give an answer, a defense, to any, everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. Now, Richard Mao, who, who wrote the book about being a patriotic Christian previously wrote a book called um, Uncommon Decency about kind of uh, how do we help restore civility in our culture. And, and the whole book is unpacking that phrase, gentleness and respect. Um, and, and you just see this 
sense that because we're rooted in the lordship of Jesus, because we're rooted in the hope that comes from knowing that Christ has defeated sin and death through his crucifixion and resurrection, because Christ has suffered for us, then it's possible for us to return good for insult. It's, it's possible for us to answer gently when we are attacked. When we're put on the defense, it's possible for us to not respond defensively. It's possible for us to respond with gentleness and respect. Um, so, I want to point to one more feature, though, of this scripture text. How do you know from looking at those words that responding with gentleness and respect is not going to be easy? What are the hints that tell us this may not be easy to do? Okay, the, it's, there's this mention of suffering for doing good. Like, oh, that's not easy. And so part of the doing good that we might have to suffer through is answering with gentleness and respect when we wish we could just ah! <laughs> blow up. But. But. The word but. Okay. The word but. Always be prepared. But. Which implies we're going to be tempted to do something different. It might be more natural, easier to respond in a different way. Do you notice what Peter has to appeal to to convince us that this is the right way to respond? (laughs) I see Alice whispering these words, right? Christ also suffered once for sins. Like, you you know something's going to be hard if you have to give somebody a reason to do it. You don't have to give me a reason to eat a donut with chocolate glaze on the top. Like, I'm, I'm in. Like, I don't need a motivation. Just show me where the plate is. You don't have to tell me four donuts with chocolate on top are really excellent. And this is a major health food category. Right? You don't have to motivate me by giving me all those reasons because I already want to do it. I already know how to do it. I'm highly motivated internally. Peter knows, like, I am having to motivate you to do something that's not going to come naturally. It is going to be difficult. I'm going to give you the weightiest motivation I can give to a follower of Jesus. Remember who Jesus is and how he has loved you. Right? Remember what he has done for you. If someone is treating you in a way that that makes you think they are unrighteous because they're unjustly accusing you or they're they're misunderstanding who you are as a follower of Jesus and you're being called to love that person as if they weren't doing that. You've been loved like that yourself. You were unrighteous and Jesus loved you. Um, and he brought you to God, and nothing can shake that. The, the, the 
the person misunderstanding the Christian faith or what it might say about politics is not going to shake your relationship with God. And so um, you, you see this sense that turning all of this gospel piece into action is very important. Do this with gentleness and respect. We have to be ready to do something. But we, that action will fall flat if it's not rooted in something bigger than the action. That action has to grow out of this conviction of who is Christ, what is he like, how has he loved us. Um, and so all of that just reminding us that building gospel bridges means hey, we're asking Jesus to help us love people who don't know him. And if they don't know him, maybe their religion is politics. And they're going to talk about politics very differently than we would. But that shouldn't frighten us away. Right? In fact, uh, it should cause some sympathy to well up in us. What would it be like to have a religion that could change at any given moment based on the outcome of this election or that? Wow. That'd be a hard way to live. Would you, like to, would you like to help offer some peace to someone who lives in that hard place? Um, so that's part of our calling. All right, last week we started to unpack this word and uh, want to wrap up what we began there. This is uh, a Greek word, paraklesis, that uh, has its... Uh, counterpart in the, it's an older word that would show up in some English translations of the New Testament in the word paraclete, which is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Um, And it means something like comforter, newer translations of the New Testament, where like King James might say paraclete, we'll we'll say comforter, advocate, something like that. So paraclesis is this like rich uh, term that has to do with all the we, we walked through the pictures last week all the things that a coach does for you <laughs> comforts you when you're hurt instructs you when you don't know what to do exhorts you when you're doing the right thing and you should keep on doing it uh, cor- corrects you when you're doing the right thing in the wrong way or doing the wrong thing completely encourages you when you have what it takes but you don't think you do we could add more words, this, this word, warning people, uh, admonishing them, uh, rich concept in scripture. So what I wanted to do is just share with you some of my pastoral paraclesis for you. Encouragement, I hope, I hope these things will encourage you, exhort you to stay on a healthy path if you're there. Uh, call you back to a healthier path if, if that healthy path is, is uh, not one you're on right now. Comfort you. Um, so all of that wrapped up together. We're going to start with some instruction. Uh, and we used this picture last week. Great. I just love the way it captures the intensity of this athlete's learning, right? She is listening hard to everything this coach is saying. And... Uh, 
I want to believe he's a good coach just by looking at his picture, right? I don't know. Maybe he's not. Sure looks like him. Looks like he's a good teacher. Uh, so we'll start here. Don't give up on confidence in Scripture. One of the things we've mentioned over the past couple weeks is that um, certain Christian beliefs are going to uh, get wrapped up into this uh, guilt by association tendency. A lot of people who call themselves Christian nationalists will say that they have a very high view of the scriptures. I don't know that we should believe them when they say that. As I read through various surveys and polls, not every person who claims to believe some Christian teaching may actually understand the thing they're even claiming to believe. So I'm going to take that with a grain of salt. But I do believe that we are in a culture where we will hear more often that high confidence in the scriptures is a mark of some kind of extremist view. I just, I'm hearing that more often. I, I think that's the water we're swimming in. And what I want to say is don't give up on confidence in scripture. Just because some people say there's a straight line between having a high view of what the Lord says to us in His Word and being an extremist of one stripe or another, whether that's Christian nationalism or, or something else. Those two things go together. I don't want to be this thing, therefore I should let go of that thing. Don't give up. It's not true that there's a straight line there. In fact... In fact, it's the scriptures that, that are our foundation for hope and for responding with gentleness and respect when we've been attacked. <laughs> and so there's a catch-22 there. It's like, well, I don't, I don't want to become this kind of person who responds by attacking others who disagree with them, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of let go of my confidence in scripture. We just let go of the thing that told you to respond with gentleness and respect when you're attacked. You just let go of the thing that said love your enemy. You just let go of the only thing that would keep you from responding with... So don't give up on confidence in Scripture. It's the Scriptures themselves that show us how to repay evil with blessing. It's the Scriptures that tell us to put our hope in Jesus and not in politics the scriptures that give us the very foundation for healthy engagement in politics, as we will see in just a minute. Another verse from 1 Peter. It's the scriptures that tell us we don't have to win at all costs because our world won't end if we don't win. Right? And so do you see the you see the paradox, right? That I could I could feel a little less tension in my culture. If, if my culture is saying, if, if you trust the Bible to a high degree, then you're probably headed in this very unhealthy direction. I could, I could release some tension if I would walk away a bit, soften my sense of confidence in Scripture. But in doing that, I'm letting go of the one thing that would bring me back 
to a kind of self-sacrificial love. That, that's the only answer to all those bad places we don't want to go. And so let me say to you, and especially if you are under the age of 40, if you are under the age of 20 and you're in this room, don't give up on the kind of confidence in Scripture that Jesus had. And if you're, if you're thinking, I don't know what kind of confidence Jesus had in Scripture, start with that question. Ask that question. And then seek to have the same degree of confidence in the scriptures that Jesus himself had. And don't let go of that. Even if other people say to you. Because I'm going to always say, everything else can fall away. Did high confidence in scripture make Jesus a hateful person? Did high confidence in scripture lead Jesus down a path of idolatry? Did high, what, what did that confidence in scripture sort of lead toward in the person and life of Jesus. We're losing a lot if we let go of that. Now, there are many people who will say, I have high confidence in Scripture, and they'll go to some very unhealthy directions. That's why we keep coming back to Scripture to be corrected. Always reforming. Right? So don't give up. Don't give up on confidence in Scripture, uh, even as we're told that it, Always leads to unhealthy places. It doesn't always lead to unhealthy places. All right, so this is me saying, keep it up, keep it up, good job. Um, don't give up on Jesus as Lord. Uh, don't give up on Jesus as the Lord of all of life. Um, yes, absolutely, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to think through what the Lordship of Jesus means about politics. Apply the Lordship of Jesus to your political thinking. Be engaged. Don't run away. Don't withdraw. Don't retreat. Don't give in to a false choice between I'm, I'm either a Christian nationalist or i got to be silent. No, there is another way to do this. <laughs> um, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of everything. And he wants his people to think about what his, the reality of who he is. How does that apply to every area of life? So yes, keep thinking of Jesus as Lord of all of life, including how you think about politics. But here's where nationalism goes wrong. Nationalism in all its forms, Christian nationalism included, goes wrong in saying not everybody is truly a citizen. There's kind of a pure group that are the real citizens. And if we want this nation to be healthy again, whether that nation's Italy or Germany or the United States, If we want this nation to be healthy again, then this group has to flourish and prosper. But what about people who want part of that group? Uh, Jesus is Lord of all of life for the good of all people. And and I would say, what does your pastor want you to know? I want you to know it's our calling to do the hard work of making it unmistakably clear that as Christians we want the good of all people. Let's make that unmistakably clear. Our vision of what is good, our vision of the best strategy to achieve that good 
is going to differ from that of other people. It may differ from other Christians. But this part should be unmistakably clear. We want the good of all people. We, we want living in this country to be good for people who live in this country. Not just for a subgroup. And, and adopting a title like Christian nationalism begins to sound like we only want the good of other people who are Christians or who ascribe to a certain kind of Christianity. Which I would argue, if, if, it, if your Christianity lets you make an idol of the nation, then it's not Christianity at all. And just because you put the word Christian in front of your nationalism doesn't mean you understand that word. Or, as I learned in Abbeville, South Carolina, rural upbringing, you know, you've heard me say this before, I'll say it again. Just because it's in the oven don't mean it's a biscuit. So, just because it's called Christian nationalism doesn't mean it's Christian. Let's do the hard work of making it unmistakably clear that we want the good of all people, even the people we disagree most intensely with. That's hard work. It is hard work to do that. Some of you are doing that in your families on a daily basis. Some of you are doing that in your workplaces, uh, in classrooms. You're, you're navigating these, these kind of fine lines. Um, if you really wanted the good of all people, how could you believe a religion that says some people are wrong? Let's talk more about that. Thank you. That You've just asked me a question. And, and now the scriptures say that I should answer you with gentleness and respect and give you a reason for the hope that I have. Even though you may not agree with me once this conversation ends. But I hope when the conversation ends, you'll, you'll at least get a, a sense of, you didn't just shatter my world by saying you might disagree with me. And I love you. I want what's good for you. Um, in fact, some, sometimes the reason I agree with you is because I want what's good for you. I, I disagree with you. Um, here's one more verse from First Peter. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. There's a ton of wisdom packed into those few words. There's even fewer words in Greek. It's, it's fun, kind of poetic ring to it. Just, just unpack that for a minute. Notice how the Apostle Peter says this to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's calling us. He's saying faith should inform your politics. Honor the king. The ESV says honor the emperor. The Greek word is king, but if you lived in the Roman Empire... You hear the word king, who are you thinking about? The emperor. It doesn't spell out for us every detail of how faith should inform our politics. But it definitely says, if you trust Jesus, you don't put the emperor in some other category that, that Jesus can't touch. Because you are a Christian, your faith should inform how you think about the king. We'll expand that to assume it applies even to a country like ours that doesn't have a king. Emily's the queen of Narnia, but that's a different conversation <laughs> for another time. I've not ever heard Jim claim to be the king of Narnia because that would lead us to some dangerous places. So, um, honor the king. 
faith should inform politics, but politics is not our God. How do we know? How did Peter say it? Right? Faith is going to inform our politics. We're going to honor the king. But we have a different kind of relationship with God. We're going to fear God. We have this kind of reverence that's reserved for him alone. It doesn't mean we retreat into a hidey hole and never think about politics. But man, we think of it from this healthier perspective that says, I'm not going to be shaken by whatever's happening over here because God is, he's, he's my God. Politics is not my God. Do we have a special love for other Christians? Yes. But it lives right alongside this call to honor everyone. Um, The word there for honor is sometimes translated value. Show the value you place on something would be a way to paraphrase it. Honor the king. Fear God. Show the king the value you place on him. It is value, but it is not the most valuable. Show him that right level of value. Give politics its right, proper place. Right? Fear God. Love the brotherhood. Show everyone the value you place on them. It's hard to show someone the value you place on them if you're just waiting to add them to the list of people who know you're right. So uh, you see Peter unfolding all these like layers of what it means to live in our world just in this very short staccato sentence. Right? Um, at the end of the day, I, I think that is... Uh, a healthy summary of a lot of principles we're after. All right. Dion's patting his son on the head here. Uh, I think this is coach as encourager. Like, hey, you'll get him next time, buddy. Didn't go so well today. but So let, let me encourage us. Don't give up on your calling as a bridge-building ambassador of the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. Um, it's hard, it's complicated, especially if, if you're like me and, and so much of your understanding of how to live that calling out was shaped in a very different context than the one you actually live in now. Right? Like as, as I was first getting to know Jesus and learning about Christianity, I was a high school student. You'll hear more about that in today's sermon. Um, Small town, rural South Carolina, uh, where more Baptists than people was the joke, you know. And um, (laughs) I think they've been baptizing some cows. uh, And talking about faith in Jesus was actually a way to get respect. It was a way to bring people into a conversation. It's very different from living in Atlanta as a 50-plus-year-old. and Our culture has changed a good deal since then. 
I don't know that I've got all the tools for living in this time and place. So it would be easy for me to say, I'm just going to give up on the calling. <laughs> let, let me just sort of find my safe little hidey hole. and Man, don't give up. Come on. <laughs> um, Tim Keller says the best way to learn how to share with other people uh, the good news of who Jesus is, is to make mistakes sharing with other people the good news of who Jesus is. <laughs> and then just like, yeah, do it poorly and, and then do it again. Maybe a little less poorly the next time. <laughs> but just keep, that's our calling. Build the bridges. Um, because we honor everyone, why do we honor everyone? I think at the end of the day we see the value that the Lord Jesus placed on us. And, and so it becomes a, a little easier for us to, to say to other people that we value them because we've been loved in that way. All right, let me uh, pray for us and we'll go worship together. And we have a very short uh, day. The goal is a half hour congregational meeting after worship this morning uh, to update you on some exciting stuff. All right, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, teach us how to honor the king. Teach us how to um, put the right value on politics and political leaders and elections. And um, Lord, help us to honor everyone, help us to love our fellow Christians, brothers and sisters of all ages and stripes and backgrounds and, and help us help us to fear God, revere Him above everything else so that we don't get discouraged by all the others. Uh, we pray these things in Your name. We want to grow and we need Your help. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture and Christianity. Intown Community Church is located in Atlanta, Georgia. You can find out more information about our church on our website, intown.org. If you would like more information, please contact us at askintown at intown.org.